Hello, I am Bob Bostock. You are listening to Discover DEP, the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection's official podcast. Each week, we will provide you with timely information about how DEP protects and preserves New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. Please feel free to add this podcast to your iTunes or RSS feed. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Gladys Geron, and I'm a communications assistant here at DEP. Normally, I play a behind-the-scenes role in the podcast recordings, but as a special treat today, we are flipping the tables around, and we are going to be joined by Bob Bostock, Director of Strategic Communications and DEP and the student of the presidency, to talk about New Jersey's connections to presidents throughout the years. Bob, how are you? Welcome. I'm fine, thank you. And it's very strange to be on the other side of the microphone. Oh, I'm sure it is. So, Bob, how far does New Jersey's presidential past go? Well, of course, it goes all the way back to George Washington, Uh uh, even before he was president, when he was commander of the Continental Army. He spent quite a bit of the Revolutionary War here in New Jersey. Obviously, the Battle of Trenton in 1776, the Battle of Princeton in 1777, just a few weeks later, not not even a few weeks later, a week or so later. And then in 1778, the Battle of Monmouth. What is less known is that the most bitter winter of the entire revolution was spent here in New Jersey. Everybody thinks it's Valley Forge, but in fact, the winter of 1779 to 1780, Washington had his headquarters in Morristown, New Jersey, at the Ford Mansion, and spent the winter there even more bitter than Valley Forge. And then, of course, when he was on his way to be inaugurated as our first president, he was being inaugurated in New York City. He traveled through New Jersey on the way there. And in fact, when he came to Trenton and crossed the bridge across from Pennsylvania, they had erected a huge triumphal arch held up by 13 pillars. And all the ladies of Trenton turned out in white dresses and threw flowers in the path of his carriage as it came through Trenton and to welcome our future president. So it goes all the way back to Washington. But quite a few presidents since then have also had a pretty close connection to New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Like who? Well... Let's jump to James Madison, the fourth president of the United States. He did his undergraduate work here at Princeton University. It was then known as the College of New Jersey, now known as Princeton University. He graduated from there, of course, went on to become the father of the Constitution Mm -hmm. and the fourth president of the United States. Abraham Lincoln visited New Jersey on his way to be inaugurated, just as Washington had visited New Jersey on his way to be inaugurated in New York. Lincoln stopped here in New Jersey, here in Trenton, on his way to his inauguration in Washington in 1861. Wow. And what kind of reception did he get when he arrived in New Jersey? Well, it was kind of interesting because New Jersey had not voted for Lincoln. Stephen A. Douglas, his main opponent, received more popular votes than Lincoln did. But because of uh, the quirky way the Electoral College worked in New Jersey back then, Lincoln actually got four electoral votes and Douglas only got three. Mm. But the majority of the people here in New Jersey had not supported Lincoln. And that was true in the state legislature. The legislature had invited Lincoln to address both the Senate and the Assembly on his way to Washington. He accepted that invitation, but he was speaking to an audience that was not necessarily very supportive of him. In fact, in his remarks to the state Senate, he said, I understand, nevertheless, that everyone here came forward to greet me as the constitutional president of the United States, as citizens of the United States, to meet the man who, for the time being, is the representative of the nation, united by a purpose to perpetuate the union and the liberties of the people. 
So even though Lincoln was not popular in New Jersey, not popular in the legislature, he addressed that head on and really commended the legislature for inviting him to speak as the next president of the United States and not necessarily as somebody they had supported. Uh, we kind of hear echoes of what's going on today in that event back in February of 1861. Yeah. So are there any towns and locations that have a special connection to the presidents? Well, there are several of them, particularly Long Branch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Long Branch in the 19th century, of course, on the, on the Jersey Shore, our beautiful Jersey Shore. Seven presidents in the 19th century used wow. Long Branch as their summer White House. Washington, D.C. was built on a swamp in the early days of the Republic. When uh, the British sent their ambassadors to Washington, they were given extra pay for hazardous duty because... They, it was a, what they called a malarial swamp, dangerous, hot because of all the mosquitoes and everything else. So, of course, before the advent of air conditioning, presidents would leave Washington during the summer. Congress would leave as well. And seven of them, seven 19th century presidents, spent their summers in Long Branch. They include President Grant, President Rutherford B. Hayes, James Garfield, Chester Allen Arthur, Benjamin Harrison, William McKinley, and Woodrow Wilson. They all spent summers in Long Branch, New Jersey. In in those years, during all those presidencies, the focus of the presidency during the summertime was right here on the Jersey Shore. So what was so special about this location that it just attracted presidents to come and spend their summer there? Well, it's the same thing that attracts people to the Jersey Shore today. The beautiful weather, the beautiful beaches, the ocean, clean, Mm -hmm. the great salt air, uh, much cooler, obviously, of course, along the coast than it would be in Washington or even inland. Uh, It was convenient to get to. There was a railroad depot in Long Branch so they could take a train up from Washington and Mm -hmm. enjoy the same sort of healthy air and relaxation and all the pleasures of the shore that people enjoy today. Is there anything in this town that commemorates that? Well, there are a couple of things in Long Branch that commemorate that. There, in, in Monmouth County, there's the Seven Presidents Oceanfront Park, which honors the fact that seven presidents spent their summers there. And there's also a church. It's no longer a church, but the building still stands. It's, it's called, known as the Church of the Presidents. Mm-hmm. Uh, the building is still standing. It's under renovation. But uh, that is a church at which all seven of those presidents worshipped during their summers in Long Branch. Wow, that's very impressive. So... Can you tell us about how James Garfield made his way to New Jersey and what led to his visit and stay here? Well, Garfield came twice during his very brief presidency. He came with his wife in June of 1881. She was recuperating from an illness. They came to Long Branch to recuperate. But then tragically, he was the victim of what ended up being an assassination. He was shot in Washington at the train station as he was getting ready to go up to Williams College in Massachusetts, where he was to deliver a speech. They kept him in Washington for two months almost, trying to help him recover from his wounds. Mm -hmm. Uh, The doctors ended up doing more harm than good. But after after the summer and the, the really difficult conditions in Washington, Garfield decided he wanted to go to the shore. Mm-hmm. So they brought him up to New Jersey on a train to Long Branch. I had mentioned there was a depot in Long Branch. Mm-hmm. They actually laid tracks from the depot to the house in which he stayed called Franklin Cottage, 20-room house. So it's yeah. a pretty big cottage. <laughs> but they laid the tracks all the way up to the, to the door of the cottage mm-hmm. so that he could be transported there without having to get out of the train and go onto a carriage, which would have been a difficult ride, in fact, On the train that brought him up, they had piled several mattresses on top of each other so that he could rest comfortably Mm -hmm. during the train journey and not be jostled about. And when he arrived in Long Branch, arrived at uh, the Franklin Cottage, 
He said, thank God it is good to be here, which is something that I think everybody says when they get to the Jersey Shore. They put him in a bedroom uh, facing the ocean, had him propped up in bed so he could see the ocean, breathe in that salt air. But unfortunately, he was there less than two weeks on September 19th, 1881. President Garfield died of the wounds he had received in that assassination effort in Washington. So it was a very poignant thing that uh, the president came up here, you know, in the hopes of recuperation. But unfortunately, his wound, which he would have survived if he had had it today, the doctors really did do more harm than good. Poking around, it was before they understood about sterilization and bacteria. bacteria. So they were literally probing inside his body with their fingers that had not been washed. And he ended up getting terrible infection. And that's what killed him. It wasn't the bullet that killed him. It was the the treatment that followed the bullet wound that killed him. I understand that he was the second president to be assassinated. He was. Lincoln, of course, was assassinated in uh, 1865 in Washington at Ford's Theater. Yeah, and I read that Lincoln's son was actually present at both events, too, and refused to meet with any other presidents afterwards. He was actually also almost president at William McKinley's assassination as well. He had just left, I think, the exposition that McKinley was visiting in Buffalo, New York, when McKinley was assassinated. But yeah, Robert Todd Lincoln was not actually present for his father's assassination, but was in town Mm. and uh, also present when uh, President Garfield was shot. Let's move on from tragedy. And how about good news? How many presidents were born in New Jersey? Well, we've had one president born in New Jersey, Grover Cleveland. He was born in Caldwell, and his home is is still standing. And in fact, it is a state historic site and is the sole repository of most of the papers and artifacts of the Cleveland presidency. It's still there today. It's open to the public as, as part of our historic site. It's a great place to visit. There are things for everybody to see and do. Kids can go there and get dressed up in costumes of the period. They can dress up as President Cleveland and his wife, uh, Frances Folsom Cleveland. They can play some of the games the kids would play during the late part of the 19th century and visit the home in which he was born, a modest home. His father was a minister. Uh, The home was the manse of the church uh, that his father served. And you can see the humble beginnings, really, that this man who was our 22nd and 24th president of the United States, after Cleveland left the presidency for the second time, he's the only man to have served two non-consecutive terms as president. He was the 22nd president when he ran for re-election. He actually won the popular vote but lost the electoral vote. He ran again four years later, won, and became the 24th president. After his presidency, after the end of his second term, he retired to New Jersey, to Princeton. Uh, The home in which he lived in Princeton is still standing. It's in private hands. And after he died in 1908, he's buried in the Princeton Cemetery. And if people uh, go to the Princeton Cemetery, there are maps you can get when you uh, enter the cemetery that will show you where his gravesite is. His wife is buried there with him as well. Wow. Well... He may have been the only president born in New Jersey, but he's not the only president from New Jersey. No, that's right. Woodrow Wilson was the governor of New Jersey when he was elected president. Mm -hmm. Wilson was born in Virginia, but he came to school at Princeton University, later came back to Princeton to serve as the president of the university. Mm -hmm. After that, he was elected governor of New Jersey. And then after serving for governor not all that long, ran for president in 1912 and was elected president of the United States. Wow, that's a quick jump from president of a school to governor and then president of the United States. 
Well, you know, the folks who go to Princeton might actually think that would be a step down from president of the University of President of the United States. But I think the rest of us would probably agree it is a pretty big jump from the president of a university to the governor of New Jersey to the president of the United States in a relatively short period of time. And Wilson, the house in which he lived as president of Princeton, is still there. It's called Prospect House. It's on the grounds of the university. You Mm -hmm. can see where he lived. Uh, so he had, and of course, the State House, which is where he served as governor, is available for tours, and you can see where Wilson served as president. So, Bob, what is the spirit of Glassboro, and why is it so important? Yeah, the spirit of Glassboro, interesting. In 1967, you know, the Cold War between the Soviet Union and the United States was still very much raging, and the premier of the Soviet Union, Andrei Gromyko, was going to be at the United Nations to address the United Nations. And President Johnson, President Lyndon Baines Johnson, wanted to meet with Gromyko to have a summit meeting. Well, they had a hard time figuring out where should they, they do this. You know, this, the Soviet premier didn't want to come all the way to Washington to meet the president. The president was going to go all the way to New York to meet the Soviet premier. You know, a lot of jockeying there. So they found a place halfway between Washington and New York, and that was Glassboro, New Jersey, at the time, Glassboro State Teachers College. So the two leaders, President Johnson came up from Washington, Premier Gromyko came down from New York, met in the president's house at Glassboro for three days in June. They didn't reach any major agreements, but it was the it was the really the start of what was a new era in Soviet American relationships that summit. So Glassboro, New Jersey, uh, then you know a small town of Glassboro State College. Um, a relatively small school at that time. Of course, it's grown enormously since then, now Rowan University. The attention of the entire world was focused on Glassboro for those three days in June of 1967. Wow. So we've talked about President Wilson and how he was the governor of New Jersey, and we've talked about earlier presidents starting out in New Jersey. But can you tell us about presidents who picked New Jersey as their home after their service as president ended? Sure. Well, I mentioned, of course, Grover Cleveland, who retired to New Jersey after he left the White House. More recently, President Richard Nixon. After he left the White House, of course, he went to his home in San Clemente. But after several years out in California, he wanted to come back east. Both of his daughters were there. His grandchildren were there. And he and Mrs. Nixon wanted to come back east. In 1980, they moved to New York City. Uh, After only about a year there, they decided they wanted to come out to the suburbs of New York City because the grandchildren were young and they wanted a place where the kids could play and everything else. So the Nixons moved out to Saddle River in 1981. Uh, They both lived there for the rest of their lives, Mrs. Nixon, until she passed away in 1993, and President Nixon until he passed away just under a year later in 1994. Uh, What's interesting about that is that uh, President Nixon and Mrs. Nixon have both given up their Secret Service protection. Former presidents are entitled to Secret Service protection and former first ladies for the rest of their lives. But uh, the Nixons found after they had come east and moved to Bergen County, you know, they'd go around, they'd, he'd get his hair cut in Hohokus, ho- they'd go to area restaurants. They never had a problem, no incidents of any kind. And he was fairly controversial, but people always treated them very politely and respectfully. So they both decided to give up their Secret Service. And that uh, saved the taxpayers millions of dollars over the course of the rest of their lives. But they were made to feel very much at home in Bergen County. 
President Nixon had his office in uh, New York when they first came out here. But after a while, he decided, you know, let's move the office to Bergen County as well. So he moved his office to Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey, in the Perillo building. Uh, Mm -hmm. Folks from North Jersey particularly will remember the ads of Mario Perillo and his tours of Italy. It was a building he built uh, for the headquarters of his business. And and, uh, President Nixon had his offices on the second floor of that building. Wow. Yeah, I read a couple of articles that talked about how much the people of Bergen County ran into him and he was like a normal person. Yeah, he would just, you know, he'd, he'd uh, take a walk every morning and every evening in the neighborhood by himself. And uh, his neighbors would, you know, they'd see him out there. And in fact, he found a stray dog one time, took the dog in. That ended up being the family dog for a while until oh, wow. that dog passed away. Uh, So they were made to feel very much at home here in New Jersey. And as I said, without Secret Service protection or anything else, never had a problem, never had an incident, uh, never even treated rudely, which, you know, New Jersey has a reputation sometimes as being a place where people can be uh, a little aggressive and a little gruff, but uh, certainly in welcoming the former president and Mrs. Nixon, they were always treated with uh, friendliness and respect. So how about some more recent presidential history Do you know anything? Well, the most recent, of course, is our 45th president, Donald Trump. Uh, He has the golf course in Bedminster. Mm -hmm. Uh, He conducted part of his transition in Bedminster, went to church at a local church, Lamington Presbyterian Church, right near Bedminster. Mm -hmm. And I suspect we will see, probably when the weather starts getting better, wouldn't be surprised to see uh, President Trump and his entourage spending some time in New Jersey as well. So New Jersey has a connection reaching all the way back to George Washington and all the way to our current president, where uh, people have, of course, practically every president of the United States, certainly in the 20th century, has visited New Jersey at one point or another. President Obama came to Rutgers for their 250th anniversary to give the commencement speech, which was a great honor for the university and a great honor of the state. So all the presidents have been to New Jersey, but we've had quite a few who actually have a pretty deep connection with our state. So while Virginia is very proud of the fact that four of, four of the first five presidents were from Virginia. And Ohio is very proud of the fact that uh, in the 19th century, a great many presidents had been born in Ohio. I think New Jersey can be very proud of the fact that we probably have a close connection with 12 or 13 presidents of the United States over that period of time. So while not many were born here and, and not many were elected from here, Uh, They all had a very deep connection to our state over the course of of their lives. And that, I think, illustrates the importance of New Jersey in our nation's history from the revolution all the way to the the current day. And also just, you know, what a great place New Jersey is to live. Yeah, I completely agree. So I understand that you've been involved in exhibits and setting up exhibitions that relate to the precedents. Can you tell us a little about that and how did you become so interested in presidential history? Sure. Well, when President Nixon moved to Bergen County and moved his offices to Bergen County, I happened to be living in Bergen County at the time and managed to get some work in his office. So I came to know Mr. Nixon in uh, 1989 when I, uh, as a summer intern, helped work, fact check really his, what was his eighth book, called In the Arena. And then a few months later, I was uh, asked to write the exhibit text for the Nixon Library when that opened in California in 1990. So I wrote most of the story of his presidency from the 1968 campaign through to and including the Watergate exhibit. And then more recently, when Mrs. Nixon and President Nixon, when we had the 100th anniversary of their birth, their centennial, I worked again with the Nixon Library in curating and writing 
Mrs. Nixon's Centennial Exhibit and in co-curating and co-writing President Nixon's Centennial Exhibit in 2013. So I've had an interest in the presidency ever since I was a kid. I've always loved history. I uh, was very excited to be able to work with a former president and to help tell the story of that particular president in his own presidential library. And then just recently, in January this year, I collect what I call presidential gifts and giveaways, which are the, you know, if you go see the president, you're a visitor, he'll give you a tie clasp or something like that. I have a pretty good collection of those things, and I had those on exhibit in the Lawrence Township branch of the Mercer County Library in the month of January. Um, as the new president was being inaugurated, I put some of those things on exhibit, and that was kind of fun, too. Yeah. So um, you were kind enough to introduce me as a student of the presidency, and I'd like to think that over the years as I've studied the presidents, I've gotten to know uh, a bit about each one of them, and I've always been particularly interested in how important a role the state of New Jersey has played in the lives and careers of uh, so many of the men, men up until this point, who have served as president of the United States. So, Bob, let me go back to your work at the Presidential Library. Was there anything interesting or anything that surprised you while you were doing your research that you found that just struck you? Yeah, well, it was really interesting for Mrs. Nixon's centennial exhibit, for instance. I was given permission by President Nixon's younger daughter, Julie Nixon Eisenhower, to read the collection of love letters that a young Richard Nixon had written to the then Pat Ryan, uh, trying to uh, persuade, you know, they had a courtship that lasted over two years. And back then, of course, you know, telephones were expensive and you didn't do a lot of phone calling. So they would write letters and mail was delivered twice a day. So you could send a letter in the morning and it would be delivered in the same town in the afternoon. So I had the opportunity to go through all the, the, the love letters that they had written during their courtship. And that was really neat because at first I felt, wow, I'm really intruding on the privacy of these two people. <laughs> But what I found most interesting is that President Nixon's or Richard Nixon's letters uh, were very heartfelt, almost poetic, used poetic language, uh, very ardent. He was clearly courting Pat Ryan, who was a teacher in Whittier, the town in which they both lived, Whittier, California. She was, she, it took her a little while to uh, kind of decide that, okay, maybe this guy's okay. And uh, one of the, my favorite letters that she wrote back to him, uh, he was at a, he had a civic meeting uh, that night he was going to. And she wrote a little note that said, uh, if you have a chance uh, after the meeting, uh, come by and I'll burn a hamburger for you. So her notes her and her letters back to him were much less ardent. She was playing a little bit, you know, I don't want to say hard to get, but she had a lot of suitors. She was beautiful, considered the most beautiful woman in town. Mm -hmm. She had a lot of uh, gentlemen callers, as they would say in the South. What was interesting is that the future Mrs. Nixon was not as quick to respond to the future president of the United States in, with the same degree of ardor and poetry that uh, he showed in his letters to her. It was a very interesting kind of insight into their, the development of their relationship and uh, then to see how it grew over the years during the course of their more than 50 years that they were married. Have you done any other work with uh, presidential history? I have not. I've, you know, my uh, my presidential history work has pretty much been uh, focused on the on the Nixon Library. It's been a fascinating thing. Uh, I, as you mentioned, I'm a student of the presidency, and I'm an ardent student of the Nixon presidency. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I've had more opportunity to study that. One of the great things about that has has been the opportunity to go into the archives out at the Nixon Library and see original documents and original artifacts and things like that that help bring stories alive. They have things like that at the Grover Cleveland birthplace, actual artifacts that were used by 
President and Mrs. Cleveland. And it's great for anybody who loves history to be able to see something that a president touched or used or, or wore. It really helps bring history alive. And I think at all of our sites uh, in New Jersey that DEP is involved with, um, of course, the Princeton Battlefield State Park, Monmouth Battlefield State Park, the Grover Cleveland House, you know, these are all DEP-run facilities. At all of those facilities, you're, you're not just looking at, you know, the grass of a battlefield. There are places where you can go and see actual artifacts from that period, which really helps bring the history alive and helps make the stories that much more real uh, for visitors today. We do have links for information on these sites on the description of the podcast for anyone who'd like to visit. And I think a great way to mark President's Day this year or, or, you know, any day really in the days and weeks ahead is to visit some of these sites. It really gives you an appreciation for not just the history of these presidents and the history of the country, but also the history of our state, which has played such a key role in the history of our country right from the very beginning down to the present day. Well, Bob, I want to thank you for joining us today and letting me flip the tables around on you and for giving me this chance to interview you and pick your brain. Well, I appreciate it very much. I just hope that uh, after the excellent job you've done that I still have a job as the host of this podcast next week. I think you will. (laughs) Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. Enjoy the rest of your day.